This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to be. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. And I have been talking about how, uh, to me, what's happening in the world today, in this country today, is all these things are converging together. The Trans-Pacific Trade Partnership... The USA Freedom Act, which is a, a surveillance legislation like we've never had before. The constant background call for disarming the public. All this stuff is coming together at the exact same time that these issues are being uh, pumped up to the loudest possible volume that polarize us. And I've really never experienced, you know, I've been on the air for some years, and I have not had the kind of uh, vitriol that I have experienced recently. It is, it is, seems to me to be a concerted effort to, uh, to stifle the conversation, to keep us from exchanging ideas. So I want to get into that a little bit. I want to try to, you know, I just got numerous emails, uh, challenging me on basically everything I said in the past hour. So I will I will try to clarify those points. Let me get to a couple of calls first. 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. I'm going to John in College Park. Hi, John. You're on with Monica. Hey, Monica. This is John Hayes. Uh, there's one uh, commercial that plays on the WSB that's uh, the uh, father of someone, uh, a daughter who has never had uh, health insurance before. And he claims that whoever takes something away from his daughter is uh, his enemy. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I was shocked by that. It's like somebody sticking an ice pick in my ear hole. Is how is, is what? Is yeah, because who gave it to her in the first place? Was yeah. it hers? Was it his yeah. to give? Well, it's it was uh, Obamacare insurance, you know. I know, but Obamacare, to the extent it represents a transfer of wealth from one American to another. Uh-huh. You know, he's saying she has something she didn't have before. Well, where'd she get it? Thank you. There's a there's an economist, and I and I and I've been looking for the whole time I've been on hold to try to find the exact quote, and I haven't found it. But it's uh, uh, pretty much to the effect that if you think uh, you are entitled to any of my wages, tell me how much you want and, and why you think you deserve it. You know, and uh, I don't know if I came close enough for you to uh, put the put the uh, face to the to the quote or not but, i don't uh, know it anyway but it's it's easy very famous and i and i've spent the last 15 minutes looking for it but, uh, <laughs> i'm sorry if if if, if, if uh, somebody thinks that they are entitled to parts of my part of my income uh just explain it to me and and, and tell me well that's the that's the the ideological divide and i understand the the what should be what we think what the um american people think they're voting on or talking about is this ideological divide which is uh do you is the government there to protect our rights my libertarian law 
Murray Rothbard's law, don't touch me or my stuff. That's why we all consent to government and anything beyond that, we don't all unanimously consent to. You can't, that that government doesn't have the right to do that. But there is a, a huge, I guess it's a majority of people at this point through a lot of efforts through the educational system and everything else to get people to think the other way, which what I call Platonic collectivism, like Plato was a collectivist, Aristotle was an individualist. But this collectivism, this idea that it's that society is and is the primary entity, the thing that has rights and goals and it outlasts any individual and it should be preserved above all. And part of that is deciding how things get traded around, who owns what, that there's an inherent injustice and just the very existence of being born on one piece of land over another, and and that we we all join together in this collectivist mentality. But I say that the American experiment, and I agree with it 100%, is not that. It's the individualist one. So don't, don't bring it here. Yes. And... Uh... Now, there's one other thought that I've got that I didn't pass by your call screener, but yeah. it's the uh, importation of uh, 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 vote, voters into different uh, districts. And uh, my question ar- arises is, uh, if, uh, say, a, a senator or a representative that was uh, is, is adverse to uh, 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 Obama, uh, say maybe won by 100 in his, his position by 150,000 votes, does it make sense that they would want to import 150,000 uh, immigrants into his uh, congressional district to make sure that he's uh, uh, outvoted on the next election? Are Are you saying you observed this, or you read about it, or that's just your idea? Because I have an answer well, to that. Well, I, I, I think it's something I'm looking at, you know. Well, I read a really great book called JFK by L. Fletcher Prouty, who was a real inside guy in intelligence, and he was a pilot in uh, during Vietnam and all this kind of stuff. And he wrote this amazing book about JFK. I mean, I, I don't know if he left stuff out on purpose, if there's some sub there's some motive to him writing this book that I, I can't figure out, but he went into great detail about how JFK and his people in in the 60s, in the early 60s, figured out how to parse out all the voting one by one in the little districts to see who the defense, like uh, uh, award defense contracts to the companies that affected the districts where they were weak and needed more votes, that they made an actual science out of how to dole out defense money and it really uh, uh overturned the existing hierarchy the relationships the establishment structure and that that was one of the reasons he had uh enemies of the magnitude that he had that this book is about who killed him and why and right. that that actually played into what he, why he was such a danger now that i mean i never heard that before and it was quite uh, sinister and calculating, but that 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 was a, a major accomplishment of the Kennedy team, and I was shocked by that. Well, without and, and again, I'm not going to go into names or districts or states, but uh, could could you imagine if you're, if you were the president and your worst congressional enemy won his last election by a hundred thousand votes? If all you had to do was import two hundred thousand uh, new voters into his district. 
that would solve your problem. Well, and I've also noticed, and I've talked to people about this, there are actually... Uh, like ad campaigns in foreign countries telling people to go to a specific town. I heard about it from a cop in Massachusetts told me that there's a big Cap- Cape Verde Island immigrant community in Brockton, Massachusetts. Like, how would they all find it? And he said they have like recruiting offices. They have billboards and they they hype it so that you'll go there. So I, I think that there might be some truth to what you're saying, and I, but I certainly see immigration. As a libertarian, I am for the right to travel and work. I'm for a free society. But I, but I can't deny that uh, there is political manipulation of those laws that have nothing to do with ideology or justice or anything else. I mean, I can't deny that. It's pretty bad. I'm going to Robert in Atlanta. Robert, you're on with Monica. Hey, Monica. Thanks for taking my call. And, you know, I think we can both agree that the Confederate flag is certainly a flag of defiance. You know, and we may disagree on other issues of it. But let's take a look at the gay rainbow flag. People with morals and values and, and real Christian principles look at that flag, and they see immorality. They see perversion. But we can't be offended by that because we're considered intolerant. We're considered bigots. But the difference is when people who fly the rainbow flag don't want to do anything to you. The See, issue of that, you got to wait. True, Let me Monica. talk and then you can talk. No, that's the, not true. Hold up. To the extent they, they want to affect society or whatever, but they don't want to come into your house and enslave you. Like the slavery thing is a is an issue of people's rights being violated. The 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 gay flag is is about people wanting to do what they want to do. No, no, it's not about that. You know, there's an interview from CNN with uh, Star Trek actor uh, George Taki, I believe Takai. it is. He says, yeah, he says, whoa, oh, no, we're not stopping here. We're going after the florists, the bakers. We're going after the churches. They're going to come after people of faith, Monica. Yes, the political, the politicalization of that is intentionally provocative, intentionally divisive. You should not... You should not be able to tell a bakery who they do or do not have to serve. You shouldn't tell people what to do. But when you're talking about what the government does, the government cannot have laws of segregation. The government, Judge Napolitano wrote a good article that the government should not make a political statement such as fly the Confederate flag. It's not necessary. But what you can't do is ban an individual from doing it. Right. So that, I think, if you are strictly adhere, I just got an irate email saying I'm a, a hypocrite, a two-faced, because... I want to have it both ways. I don't want to have it both ways. I want to have it one way. I want it to be don't touch me or my, my stuff. And that means you cannot tell me who I can sell to, who I can buy from, but you also can't take my laws, take my money, right. and tell other people what to do. Right. And I agree with you 100%, Monica. I'm a conservative. You're a libertarian. We agree 100%. Don't tell me what I can and can't do. But, you know, don't tell me that I have, we, that the church that I attend or I'm going to attend or have attended has to go marry gay people because yes, it's, the government says so. I don't think the government should have any right to issue marriage licenses at all. And I think, I do think this, I think the left, back starting with maybe Roe versus Wade, has made, has framed the issue as how should the government decide this issue? And the right pivots to that, allows that to be the framework. Instead of taking a step back and say, 
uh, the government does not have, the federal government especially, does not have the right to uh, rule on these things, to regulate these things. I have some more to say about the libertarian position and lots more calls coming up. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. Early in the work week, it's going to be mostly sunny, but storms could roll in. So stay tuned to WSB for forecasts all weekend. Brought to you by Shoemate, the official air conditioning of summer. I'm going to go to Tom. Tom, you're on with Monica. Hey, how are you this afternoon? Good. How are you doing? I'm okay. Yeah, um, well, you're talking about, uh, you know, don't touch me, don't touch my stuff. If I'm not mistaken, upon the founding of the country, Ben Franklin, I want to say it was Ben Franklin, said, if it neither picks my pocket nor breaks my leg, I care not what another man does. Uh, I don't care about homosexual marriage. I don't want to participate in it. I think it's a sham. I mean, that's my personal opinion. I shouldn't be made to do that. What I think they're going to use this for is a stepping stone for the government to come in and start telling the church and dictating to the church what they have to do. And I think that once you do that, you say that the government is stronger than, quote-unquote, God or religion, I think I think we're screwed. I, I just think we're on our way down. And honestly, I think that's where we're headed right now. I think we're on our way down. And I don't think anything short of an open revolution is going to stop this. Here's the here's the trap I think people fall for. I think people are falling for the trap that we have to decide how how things are going to be from the top. I have a quote here from the great late great Harry Brown who wrote How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World. He wrote We should never define libertarian positions in terms coined by liberals or conservatives, nor as some variant of their positions. We are not fiscally conservative and socially liberal. We are libertarians. We believe in individual liberty and personal responsibility on all issues at all times. My point is that if you take the government out of these decisions, your churches are safe you can do what you want. You can boycott a church. You can join a church. Uh, if you if you start saying that the government can define all the rules of every institution, like an adoption agency, if you want to have a private adoption agency, the government, the reason these issues become so important to legislate at the highest possible level is because the government has decided it's going to write the rules for you. And we have to all agree on what those rules are for everybody in the whole country, no matter what church or non-church or uh, state or region or anything. Everybody has to agree on it. And that was exactly not the American experiment. The American experiment was state sovereignty and uh, the confederation, as it was originally called, the, uh, the Articles of Confederation of the whole thing, was supposed to just be a very loose agreement for mutual protection. Not that every single person from border to border would have to follow the exact same rules and uh, and couldn't have their own private organizations. I, I People maybe don't like it, but that is the answer. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice every Saturday from 3 to 6 here on WSB. 
And I started the show by saying this incredibly divisive, polarizing atmosphere we're living in that is trying to pit us all against each other at every turn has really impacted our ability to have a normal conversation and exchange of ideas respectful discourse and that I've noticed it coming to a head not over years but just over months and even weeks so I am trying to have this uh this just trying to what I think is the real issue is our liberties are a function unfortunately of the Bill of Rights and uh, this American experiment. They are innate. I say unfortunately because they are innate. They are a part of us. They are not given to us by the government. But the United States is the only place that is even paying lip service to that truth. And I feel like everything from the USA Freedom Act to Obama's newly uh, gained trade promotion authority are designed like on purpose to take that stuff away from us and that these divisive issues are also designed to keep us from noticing what I consider to be the biggest thing that I have observed since I became politically aware. So I'm getting tweets, emails, everything. Always super hot these days, very emotional. If you've heard uh, my show a lot, you know Brett's a regular listener, regular caller. We don't agree on everything. He usually only calls when he doesn't agree. But he's tweeting to me, I think the issues that divide us need to be resolved before we can unify and fight the bigger problem. And I just don't, I don't think that's what's happening. I think they're uh, pumping up, the, the power elite is pumping up these issues beyond what they normally would be. I've noticed that. And, I, and when I reflected on Obama, I was happy when he was elected not because I voted for him or am a socialist or anything like that, but I thought a, a an upside of it, to the extent there could be one, was that he was in a unique position to bring harmony to this country, to to make it less discordant, to give us some racial healing. But what I didn't didn't realize at the time was that he's also in a unique position to give us disharmony. Because these issues seem to get worse every time there's an issue, the reaction, the response you get from the establishment, from the government, from the media seems to make it more agitating, more divisive. And I think some of the things, especially Eric Holder was really, I thought, inflammatory around the Zimmerman case. If Bill Clinton and his uh, cadre was out there saying some of this stuff, I think people would smell a rat. They would say, hey, you're doing this for political purposes. You'd be able to criticize him. But now we're in a position where all these issues have really not been handled in a way to increase our ability to deal with each other. I think they've been handled in a way that uh, decreases it. And I know I was just looking at uh, somebody... uh, messaged me to talk about the Georgia license plate deal. Governor Deal is looking at redesigning license plate that has a Confederate flag on it. And it's the organization that established this license plate was the Sons of Confederate Veterans. And I thought, I've heard of them before. Well, how did I hear of them? And they were the same organization that, uh, prompted the lawsuit in Texas to get the the flag on the Texas plate. Texas said no, it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said Texas has the right, the state of Texas has the right to not have that 
symbol on a license plate they issue. And I thought it's the same organization making this uh, a big issue. So I decided to look into the organization. And it was established in 1896 by Sons of Confederate Veterans. So I, I always remember on Father's Day, the boys who died at Normandy because they were so young, they didn't have children. But that wasn't true for the Confederate soldiers. A lot of the old guys had to go too, the older guys who already had children. So the the for almost 100 years, this organization's mission statement was basically to keep the graves up kept, to keep, uh, to honor these soldiers on Memorial Day, to remember them. Pretty innocuous. But in the 90s, a newly formed, more radical, or I would say radical as opposed to not radical, the League of the South. I don't know that much about it, but from what I read, there that like politicians, even criminal types from this organization infiltrated the sons of the Confederate um, veterans and changed the mis- mission statement to uh, uh, fighting for the right to display Confederate symbols everywhere from schools to state houses. Now, why would an organization that was not an organic development of this organization? It was a newly formed outside organization, very provocative, undermined the original mission of this group. Uh, schools to state houses. Why? Why? Why do that? Why try? Why make it a de facto public issue? Go door to door. Give people the Confederate flag. Let them fly it on their own flagpoles. I'm not advocating that. I, I don't care for it. I wouldn't uh, raise it because it offends people. But. This is obviously a deliberate effort, a, a long-running effort to make this uh, this issue something uh, very divisive. And that, and I found uh, many other examples of it, but I don't even want to um, get into them because they're um, it's just so distasteful to me that that we are actually pivoting. To the the divisive elements here. Um. Uh. Anyway, that's hope that adds clarity. Four zero four eight seven two zero seven fifty one eight hundred WSB Talk. I'm going to Jonathan in Augusta. Hi, Jonathan. You're on with Monica. Hello, Monica. Good talk to you this afternoon. What the phrases you're looking for with Sons of Confederate Veterans is preservation and conservation. That is basically what they were trying to do. But that's not why I called. I have a comment and a question. My comment is. The, the government has two responsibilities. One, protect the people, and two, build roads and bridges. Anything other than that is outside the scope and size of the government. My question to you is this, and please don't think it's a crazy question, but under the First Amendment, you can say anything you want, except yelling fire in a crowded room. My question is this. Rap lyrics uh, denigrate women and impugn authority, and it might incite, actually it does incite young kids to fight with the law and combative ways to the law. So why should we be able to do those things and sing those things? Well, I read a very interesting article. I referred to it earlier on another topic by Judge Napolitano, who said that the the state should not make a, a political statement. It doesn't need to fly a flag of an entity that does not exist. That's a political statement that that stands for something. 
that the state has absolutely no business in expressing. And I understand that. I, I have no problem with that. I don't think the state has any right to do anything but protect us. I don't even think it has the rights to build bo- roads and bridges. Before the Civil War, there were 400 private road companies in this country because auto manufacturers, energy companies, real estate developers, they would build the roads. But that is a divergence. Um, sorry. Uh, so what Napolitano said in his article was free speech is protected Uh, And the only limit to that is if there isn't an interim period, uh, enough time to intervene in the effect of the free speech with other speech that could counteract it. So if if it's an imminent, immediate call to violence in a a group of people trying to start a riot, you can't do that. But if you say inflammatory things that are part of the public discourse, then uh, then you can do that and it should be answered with counter arguments. Now, I think as far as a rap song inciting violence, that would have to be an actual case in court. That's what courts are for, to tease out what uh, what the real answer is, according to the principles and not to make new laws. But I guess that's changing, too. So uh, I I would just say uh, that. It's it is pretty much a you know, it's not a totally unfettered, but you can't actually imminently uh, make a call to violence. I'm going to Maurice in Stone Mountain. Hi, Maurice. You're on with Monica. Hey there. Um, Here's the Orwell quote that's relevant. He controls the past, controls the future. He who controls the present controls the past. And that's what's happening right now. They're trying to change our history. Uh, you know, the victor writes the history. We all know that, whether we acknowledge it or not. And, um, you know, they, they've been doing this uh, for everybody. This is not just about the South. Maurice, this is crazy. I have to interrupt you because I found an article that really disturbed me and i think it might play into what what you are talking about i'm i i I don't even want to read it because it's so offensive on so many levels even though it was a mainstream article quoting some confederate founder Uh uh, alexander stevens who was the vice president of the confederacy uh, and it, what it's called the cornerstone speech that the speech was that the cornerstone of the Confederacy is the fundamental uh, racial inferiority of African slaves and the natural order of things. I mean, you don't want to see that that was uh, I mean, he called it the cornerstone of the Confederacy. That's very upsetting to me. But let me tell you, in this article I read, it said Stevens was was saying that this is the cornerstone and he was contrasting it with how abolitionists think about how the North thinks. But he wasn't. He wasn't contrasting it with how the North thinks or how abolitionists think. If you go to his speech, it's called the cornerstone speech. What he was contrasting it with was uh, the founders of the U.S., of Thomas Jefferson. He was saying that um i'll read this quote this is it says this is from the cornerstone speech he's saying that thomas jefferson uh it said the prevailing ideas entertained by jefferson and most of the leading statesmen at the time of the formation of the old constitution 
were that the enslavement of the Africans was in violation of the laws of nature, that it was wrong in principle, socially, morally, politically. It was an evil they knew not well how to deal with. But the general opinion of the men of the day that was somehow or other, uh, the institution would be evanescent and pass away. So it's this idea, though not incorporated in the Constitution, was the prevailing idea at the time. And I feel like this article I just read that that disconnected what the confederacy what this guy stevens was saying he was saying he was just talking about abolitionists no he was talking about the difference between the founding of the united states and the founding of the confederacy and i think that was designed to make people uh black americans feel like america the principles of liberty and justice for all that we should all embrace as one and defend as one is something that was never meant for them. And I'm not defending that it was not uh, resolved by the founders in the Constitution. It's it's terrible. And it did. It, it was uh, the breaking point. But there is a uh, there there is a path to get past it. And rather than helping us see that path, the media, the government, I feel like they all conspire to um, to tear us in the opposite direction. Hang on, Maurice. I got to take a quick break. I'll be right back. Uh, this is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. 78 degrees outside the studio. Only a four on the Mellish meter. Hopefully that'll change. Stay tuned to WSB for weekend weather brought to you by Shoemate, the official air conditioning of summer. Maurice, I'm going to get back to, uh, he had the call before the break, and I just want, I'll give you the last word. I want to give away the McDonald's prize pack, so I need a minute for that. So, Maurice, you have a final comment for us? Yeah, uh, things are not always as they appear. Just to, to throw out some things to confuse the issue. Um, you know, Marx was a contemporary with Lincoln. Supposedly they communicated and it's to my understanding that a number of his generals were from the European Revolution of 1848, which is really the beginning of all the communist activity. Well, it was the idea, let me say, Maurice, uh, I, my understanding is that Lincoln's idea was that uh, the society, you know, like this, where I was talking earlier about Plato collectivism, that the society was the central unit of the um, uh, civic organization, not the individual. That society was more important than the individual, which I do not consider to be an American thing. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not diminishing <laughs> that people have rights. This idea of of, uh, of slavery is absolutely awful. But but the I do like to get a little bit deeper into the issues. But go ahead, wrap it up. Well, I'm just saying that uh, uh, the Masonic groups. There are a lot of external elements that were lobbying to create that war. It's not about any of the, uh, the issues. That yeah, I have about. never been able to crack the code on the outside forces and all the interests. So, yes, there was a rallying cry. There was a good cause. There always is. But there are also always behind-the-scenes pragmatists or power brokers who want an outcome unrelated to the justice of the outcome, but what their own personal interests are. And I've seen so, I've read so much about so many different countries and 
um, you know, from bankers and corporations to Russia and France and England having their own interests in the war that they not only promoted this outcome rather than a peaceful resolution where every other place abolished slavery without uh, bloodshed that they wanted the war. So that kind of thing, uh, it, it's very hard these days to get deeper into the uh, issues because this it's so polarizing. It's, it's really so polarizing. Let me real quick give away the McDonald's weekend prize pack. It's a pair of tickets to see the Tedeschi Trucks Band. I love them. In concert on July 17th at the Verizon Wireless Amphitheater. It's produced by ASO Presents. And you also get a family four-pack of tickets to the College Football Hall of Fame. 404-741-0750 for the prize pack. Be back after the break. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.